Hello Thunderbirds fan, happy Thunderbirds Day. It's Jamie here from Anderson Entertainment. We wanted to do something special for you this Thunderbirds Day uh, and so we've got this rather special treat performed by Nicholas Briggs, taken from a classic Thunderbirds annual. This is Thunderbirds, Four Hours to Eternity. Five, four, three, Thunderbirds are go. I'm a hundred miles east of New York. Look, square 65. Missiles away. The sooner we open those vaults, the happier I'll be. Four hours to eternity. Read by Nicholas Briggs. It was night. A cold, easterly wind howled in from the Atlantic and wrapped itself like an unwelcome blanket around the silhouetted skyscrapers of New York. Beyond Long Island Sound, muddy wavelets ran endlessly up the black expanse of the Hudson River and slapped wearily against deserted wharves. 3 a.m. and the city slept. But in the business section of Manhattan, two men stepped quietly out of a jetmobile and walked up the narrow confines of an alley. At the rear of a soaring office block, they stopped. Just above their heads was a square metal grill set into the wall. That's it, Joe. The ventilator shaft leads straight into the main hall. Okay, let's get with it. We're three minutes behind schedule. A laser torch flamed briefly in the darkness, and the soft metal of the grill melted like butter. Next moment, the two men were wriggling inside, belly crawling their way along the pipe. Main alarm circuits 50 yards ahead. Electronic eye set into the wall and linked to central security. Can you handle it? Joe Bailey in the lead stopped for a second and twisted his head around. His companion, Carl Burke, was a bulky shadow behind him. Sure, I can handle it. The alarms are my baby. But the big league stuff is up to you. Have you brought that gadget along? Carl nodded and slid a thin black metal pencil into his hand. A micronized reactor cell built into its tip glowed for a moment in the darkness, then faded. You bet I brought it, he said softly. Ten years of my life went into planning and building this computer. Ten years of dreaming it up in a space prison cell a thousand miles west of Mars. It'll open any lock ever invented, Joe. I sure hope so, pal. That's why we're here. Joe smiled coldly and crawled forward again. Fifty yards ahead, the electronic eye glowed softly from its bed in the ventilator wall. Bailey worked fast. Neutralize, centralize, then cut. The alarm circuit had been bypassed. Excited now, the two men crawled to the far end of the shaft. 
Another grill barred their way to a vast, marble-lined room on the ground floor. Once again, the laser torch flared. Then they were in. Standing in the deserted registration chamber of the World Government's International Monetary Center, in the gigantic vaults below, two billion dollars worth of gold lay stored in glittering rows. Joe Bailey and Carl Berg had come to take it. Quite suddenly, a metallic squeak from behind them made them whirl in alarm. Advancing fast across the floor were two square-headed robot guards, built-in disintegrator beams already swinging into the aim. Down, Carl, down! Frantically, Joe dived at his companion and belly-rolled him sideways in the nick of time as withering blasts of flame seared the walls behind them. Then Joe was scrambling for his peroxide probe. One turn on the control dial and a sizzling streak of nucleosteroid energy was blasting the robots apart. They shattered into a dozen pieces, arms and legs lying like broken playthings on the marble floor. Phew, that was close. Carl rose to his feet and wiped his brow. Are there any more of those things around? Not on the way to the vault. Joe's voice was suddenly harsh. But we may strike trouble when the gold has to be loaded onto that freight truck we've got parked on 62nd Street. We'll have to use the western door. And there are bound to be more of them guarding the exits. Then let's move. The sooner we open those vaults, the happier I'll be. Minutes later, the two men stood face to face with the gigantic steel door of the main vault. Synchronized locks glowed and winked in a central control panel. There were 16 combinations, and they changed every two and a half minutes. But Carl had not spent ten years of his life memorizing the door for nothing. His computer could open it. He knew it could. The reactor cell glowed as he pressed the end of the pencil. Tiny, micronized circuits read every detail, every facet of the changing lock patterns. Come on, come on. Joe clenched his fists and stared at his friend with eyes that suddenly held desperation. We haven't got all night. That's it. I've done it. Carl's voice rose to a shriek. Pattern 905149. Yellow flash. With sweating hands, he turned the massive dials. Seconds later, the gigantic door started to open with a hiss of hydraulic power. Inside lay riches beyond even the dreams of these two men. They had done it. Performed the impossible. The trolleys, start loading. Joe raced into the vault. Small jet-driven transporters stood lined up at the far end. Bars of gold glittered like walls bathed in evening sunshine. As much as the truck can carry, we had three hours before the security checked their robots. Let's make the most of it. And then, without the slightest warning, it happened. As the two men feverishly began to load, there was a faint but audible hiss. Next moment, the massive door began to shut. Joe, look out! Carl's scream of warning came just a second too late. As the two men hurled themselves forward, the door closed. 
sealing them in the vault. Almost from afar, they heard the shrill, persistent clanging of an alarm bell as a secondary circuit sprang into life. You fool! What's gone wrong? What's happened? Joe's voice rose to a shrill pitch of hate. You said you knew this door like the back of your hand. Ten years you'd worked on a way to break in. Carl wiped his brow. Already it was getting warm in the airless vault. Must have been a special warning system, he said wearily. Designed to close the door if it's opened without authorization. We've had it, Joe. With that alarm ringing outside, we're as good as caught. I can't open it from in here. But the air! How long can the air last in here? Joe paced the vault, frowning. Relax, said Burke. Four or five hours, I reckon. And the cops will have us out of here and in a cell long before that. But Carl Burke was wrong. As officials and police burst into the building, the vault superintendent glanced worriedly at his central index. They're still in there. Are you sure? He asked the burly security man at his side. You're no doubt about it. Open up and we'll wheel them away. That's just it. The vault can't be opened now for at least 14 hours. Once the security system is triggered, a time lock automatically comes into operation. Those guys are as good as buried alive. Then they're as good as dead. The security man thumped a puny fist against that massive steel door. The air will last four and a half hours at the most. Any chance of cutting our way in? Through six feet of picro steel lining? The superintendent shook his head. It would take about a day and a half. Even then, I doubt if our drills could stand it. I guess it's all over. Maybe not. The two men whirled as the chief of the world government security stepped calmly into the room. There's just one outfit who might have the know-how to tackle this job. And that's International Rescue. On Tracy Island, the distress call was received just 20 minutes later. As the monitored signal was flashed from Thunderbird 5, Jeff Tracy acted with a speed and efficiency that had become the organization's hallmark. New York, Virgil. International Monetary Center. Raiders trapped in the main vault. I want you out there in Thunderbird 2. Take brains and the mole alarm. It sounds like a drilling job, and one that needs speed. F.A.B., Father. Virgil Tracy leapt to his feet and tapped Brains on the shoulder. We're on our way. Within minutes, Virgil and Brains Hackenbacker, International Rescue's brilliant scientist and engineer, were soaring skywards in a plume of exhaust gases. Thunderbird 2 was on its way. They reached the long sweep of the Hudson River estuary at 5 a.m. precisely. Already an hour had passed. Sixty vital, precious minutes. Expertly, Virgil hovered his machine into a perfect landfall less than 200 yards from the monetary center forecourt. A hiss of hydraulic power and the pods containing the mole 
hums quietly to the ground. The Mole. Burrowing machine extraordinary. A piece of rescue equipment designed to slice through and penetrate any obstruction in its path. With brains at his side in the instrument-packed cabin, Virgil manoeuvred expertly along the marble-lined corridors and down the wide, curving passageway to the vault itself. The tracks ground to a halt. Virgil leapt out. The security team and the superintendent were waiting for him. How long have we got? Virgil's voice was sharp but calm. Three hours, maybe a little more. The air must be getting pretty thin in there by now. Okay, we'll get on it. Virgil jumped once again for the cabin. Move everyone back, this thing's no toy. There was a coughing roar as the reactor motors gunned into life. Instantly, the screw-like nose of the mole whirled into a revolving blur of speed. 50,000 reps per minute. Maximum plus one. Contact. Brain stared at the video screen in front of him and jabbed at a secondary button. Pick your spot, Virgil. Keep her steady. Virgil nodded. Already he could feel the thundering vibrations shake the machine like a pea in a tin can. The Picro steel was tough, no doubt about that. Six inches through. I don't like it, Brains. She's too slow. Yeah, I... Quite suddenly, Brains broke off as a wisp of smoke curled up from the main reactor circuits. Next moment, a bright yellow flash seared at their faces, licking, burning. Cut! Get out! Virgil's voice rose to a scream as he scrabbled for the cabin door with claw-like fingers. Seconds later, they were sprawling on the vault floor like broken dolls, and the mole's nose was bending sideways in a welter of splintering metal. Then it stopped. Starboard reactor blown! Brains got painfully to his feet and gasped in dismay. Must have been a blowback from the cutting rings. Temperatures soared sky high. It'll take weeks to repair. Then we failed, said Virgil quietly. Nothing on earth can help those guys now. As the smoke cleared, the superintendent ran forward. There was no need to explain. No need to give the details. The bent, splintered cutting drill was enough to tell its own story. I guess that's that, he said, shrugging his shoulders. At least you tried. And no man can ask for more than that. Come on, I'll have the medic take a look at those burns. Hold it! Quite suddenly, Brains was racing across the vault towards a large checking area with three desks and a filing cabinet which faced the main passageway. Pinned inside a large glass case on the wall was a detailed survey map of New York. This map, he said harshly, what's the date on it? 1980, said the superintendent. It's practically a piece of ancient history. I guess the checking clerk had it framed because it showed the business section of the city before the center was built. But why the excitement? Because, according to this, the entire 12 blocks were built over underground rivers, sealed tributaries of the Hudson. Brains jabbed excitedly at the glass. 
Look, square 65, the vault itself, 15 feet below it, there's a water course. So what? Virgil stared blankly at his colleague. So we might reach those trapped men in Thunderbird 4. Don't you see, Virgil? Locate the exit of that stream, and Gordon could cruise straight up it to a point immediately below the floor of the gold room. You, you mean blast away in from underneath? But there's no time, Brains. To fly back to Tracy Island and collect Thunderbird 4 will take two hours at least, maybe more. But then it'll be too late. Touch and go, I admit, but maybe not too late. We got to try, Virgil. Virgil Tracy hesitated no longer. Five minutes later, his ship was curving into the sky like a fat, elongated arrow. It was a race against time. A last, desperate gamble to save human lives. Down in the vault, Reigns ripped the map from the wall. Somehow that exit had to be located, pinpointed exactly. For 150 minutes, the little scientist checked and rechecked surveying on paper every inch of the Hudson River estuary. Then he had it. Two miles west of Wharf 90, he said to the superintendent. There's an unidentified culvert emptying into a dry dock 15 feet below high watermark. That's it. It's got to be. Swiftly, he flicked open his portable communicator. Brains calling Thunderbird 2. Come in, Virgil, fast. Receiving you loud and clear, Virgil's voice echoed tinnily in the corridor. I'm a hundred miles east of New York. Closing fast. Gordon's all set up. Okay. Drop the pod at map reference 7 bearing 190, the dock area. There's a culvert 15 feet below Wharf 90. I reckon that's the entrance. So for Pete's sake, tell Gordon to get his navigation right first time. The hands of the clock moved on, and the four hours were up. Inside the vault, the raiders would be gasping for their last ounce of oxygen, mouths open, sucking in nothing but foul, poisoned air. Death would be only minutes away. On the stroke of that fourth hour, Gordon Tracy powered the yellow streak that was Thunderbird 4, deep below the muddy waters of the Hudson River. Powerful searchlights probing the depths, he cruised straight for Wharf 90 and prayed. Brains had said to be exact, precise to the last detail. Then he saw it, a dark circular patch below water level, an open steel trap door set firmly into the sloping stones of the embankment. I've got it! Gordon's voice rose as he opened the throttles and gunned his ship straight at the opening. The passage was wide and murky, dark slime eddying to and fro in the ebbing water of the underground stream. Three miles up! Gordon spoke tersely into his radio. Another 2,000 yards and you're d directly below the vault. Brains was sweating as he spoke into the communicator. Angle your ship and try... Two missiles straight at the roof. Make it good, Gordon. You bet! Gordon watched. 1,000 yards. 1,500. 2,000. This was it. Carefully, 
he allowed the stern of Thunderbird 4 to sink. 45 degree angle. His fingers slid onto the firing button. Missiles away! With a roar that seemed to shake Manhattan Island itself, the two warheads pounded directly into the smooth roof of the underground river. Steel and concrete disintegrated in a mass of sliding rubble. Then Gordon was purring through and into the vault itself as muddy water rushed in to fill the gap. Diving suit on, he swam outside. Two men were floating and swirling past heavy, silent pillars of gold. Gordon heaved them into the warm, air-filled safety of Thunderbird 4. Carl Burke stirred weakly. Gordon smiled. It's okay, he said into the radio. They're alive. Two hours later, Joe Bailey and Carl Burke were led stumbling into the foyer of the monetary centre. The security chief pointed grimly at the three men of international rescue. These guys saved your lives, he said coldly. I thought maybe you'd like to thank them. Carl Burke curled his lips into a savage snarl. Thank them for what? He sneered. Pulling us out of one tomb so we can be shoved into another? Big deal. Virgil smiled. Relax, fella. At least your cell in the space prison will have air in it. That's right, said Brains. And one day, you might be grateful to us. Say, in about 20 years' time. brilliant uh, nick thank you so much for putting that together for everyone i hope you enjoyed it listener if you did please do share the love tweet a link to the episode with the hashtag thunderbirds day and make sure people know that they can get it for free we want as many people to enjoy this as possible and we hope they will if you'd like more of this do let us know email us podcast at jerryanderson.com and uh, we'll see what we can do for you but for now i hope you've had a very happy thunderbirds day and here's to many more